0: Welcome to the Couch Potatoes, I'm Brett McGarry. This week marks the return of one of our favorite shows, one of Canada's favorite shows,
1: season 42 of Survivor, plus... I'm Jeff Braun. This weekend marks the return of one of the biggest superheroes to the big screen. Get ready for The Batman, plus... Last week,
0: Jeff gave his rather favorable review of a show that I finally got around to watching, so I've got a second and slightly contrarian, although still favorable, take on John
1: Cena's Peacemaker. The big new movie out this weekend is, of course, The Batman.
0: Fear is a tool. When that light hits the sky... It's not just a call,
1: it's a warning.
0: We're not so different. Who are you under there?
1: Robert Pattinson becomes the seventh actor to portray the Dark Knight after Adam West, Michael Keaton, Val Kilmer, George Clooney, Christian Bale, and Ben Affleck, and the third in the past 10 years. And while that is a lot of Batman in a short amount of time, it does feel like this the road this movie has traveled has been very long and winding. At one point, it was to be a Ben Affleck Batman movie directed by Affleck and tied into those other Affleck DCEU Justice League films, but this, no, is a standalone movie, not connected to the other movies. In fact, Affleck will reprise his role as Batman in the upcoming Flash movie later this year. And this movie is directed by Matt Reeves, not Ben Affleck. Reeves has made some pretty good movies in the past, like Cloverfield and the last two Planet of the Apes movies. This will obviously be his biggest deal yet, and by all accounts, he has nailed it. The Batman is at 86% on Rotten Tomatoes, with the general consensus being it's a grim, gritty and gripping super noir, the Batman ranking among the Dark Knight's bleakest and most thrilling, ambitious live-action outings. So that's the good news, that apparently it is a good movie. The bad news is it's three hours long. Even good movies shouldn't be that long unless maybe they involve the world's biggest ship sinking or Marlon Brando as a mob boss. That said, it didn't seem to bother the critics. My problem will be worrying that I'm going to miss something important when I go to the washroom at least once, probably twice during the film. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Besides Pattinson, the movie has a stacked cast, including Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, Colin Farrell as the Penguin, Paul Dano as the Riddler, Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner Gordon, Andy Serkis as Alfred, and John Turturro as Carmine Falcone. I am excited to go see it this weekend. I'll have much more to say next week. I'm sure The Batman is in theaters now. It's black. And blue. And dead. Oh. No! <laughs> I
0: got you. I love the music from uh, Michael. Is it Giacchino? Is that how you pronounce his name?
1: Yeah, Michael Giacchino of uh, Lost Fame.
0: Yes, I, I was wondering. Like they're do okay, they're doing another new Batman. Um, how are they going to come up with yet another theme song? But uh, that theme song is quite gripping, I think. So good for Giacchino for coming up with yet something different and exciting. And I am indeed very excited, although I did
1: not know it's three hours long. (laughs)
0: Come on!
1: I think it's actually only 2.53 or something like that, so just under three hours. But yeah, uh... Uh, fast or starve yourself from liquids before you go to the theater, for sure.
0: (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I've heard comparisons to, like, this is the Batman equivalent of Seven, which is one of my favorite films of all time. So that's exciting. I love the, the look of Gotham in this from the trailers. Like, that's one of the things that I felt like was missing from the uh, Christopher Nolan trilogy. As much as I enjoy those movies, Gotham did not feel like Gotham as it's been portrayed in uh, the Tim Burton movies, for example, or especially in the comics.
1: Right. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, the Nolan ones, that's just, uh, that's just Chicago. I think Ebert kept pointing that out in his reviews because of course he lived in Chicago and could always spot Chicago. He's like, they're not in Gotham, they're in Chicago. So <laughs> th- I, th- I think aside from the running time. I'm not going to say it's a problem either, but it's an issue I will have to wrap my head around, is this is the first time for me that Batman has been younger than me. Uh, Robert Pattinson's only 35 years old. I mean, Christian Bale and even Ben Affleck are all a few years older than me, so that'll be kind of a weird thing to see a younger Batman for the first time for me. (laughs)
0: Uh, That's how I feel now any time I watch pro sports. Whereas oh, yeah. I look at some of these guys and I think, are they still, are they still in high school? But I guess that's just what happens when you sort of go past that age. Because for, for the longest time I was watching pro athletes that were younger, that were older than me. And I mean, I guess it's been basically like 44. So it, it hasn't, that's not exactly a new thing anymore uh, for athletes to be way. Oh, and younger. especially
1: now that, uh, you know Brady's retired and I think that other guy that was second oldest in the league has retired right after the Super Bowl 2 in the NFL so yeah even guys in their 40s early 40s are that's eh, pretty rare
0: yeah but I'm uh, I'm pumped for the Batman should also point out here just as I have rotten tomatoes open because I think we just recently I can't remember if it was last week or the week before but we were talking about Bruce
1: Willis movies uh we were talking about that right that rings a bell it was a couple weeks ago. He, he got the Razzie nominations for Worst Bruce Willis Performance of 2021, and there were eight nominees.
0: Okay. Well, he has yet another garbage film out this weekend. <laughs> it's called A Day to Die, and it co-stars Frank Grillo, who's not bad. He, he He's not an A-lister, but I wouldn't put him on the D-list. He's done some pretty cool stuff. But Kevin Dillon. You remember Kevin Dillon from the TV show Entourage? Yeah, that's Matt Dillon's little
1: brother, right? Yep. Or yeah. Older brother, maybe?
0: Yeah, so they're, they're, they're in an action movie. It's a limited release. I don't even... I don't know if it's going to be available to stream or rent or whatever. I don't really care because I have no interest in it because I'm sure it's going to be a bunch of garbage. Oh, and I see the supporting cast also includes Leon, whom you might remember from Cool Runnings and uh, Cliffhanger as well. So, the Batman, that's exciting news. A day to die, not exciting, but next week on Global TV. For our 42nd season, the greatest social experiment on television continues. As 18 new players take on the most dangerous version of Survivor ever seen.
1: Being a firefighter prepares you to always expect the unexpected. I'm excited about the challenge. I'm a smart businesswoman. I've taken down very smart businessmen.
0: I have a world record in pull-ups with 100 pounds on my back. But there's a million world records. But there's one survivor.
1: How will they handle
0: risky beware advantages? You must say a secret phrase. Potatoes have skin, I have skin. Am I a potato? Crazy twist. Oh, there's always something. No food.
1: I'm starving.
0: And a relentless pace that
1: will push them to
0: their limits.
1: We have to earn everything. This game is so, so hard. What did I get myself into? It's Survivor 42
0: premieres wednesday on global as as much as i love this show jeff i have to admit and i'm sort of ashamed as this clip was playing i was trying to remember how survivor 41 played out and (laughs) it was only a couple of months ago
1: and i've already forgotten who won that season do you remember off the top of your head I do not. I, I only remember not really liking the season, and it was because I didn't find any of the contestants particularly interesting. Hopefully they do a better job this time around. I am glad that secret phrase business is coming back. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's it, I mean, the thing with the gimmicks is, right, is they could pay off spectacularly or they could just bomb amazingly. Uh, but uh, hopefully that thing pays off because uh, that's mildly entertaining.
0: It was mildly entertaining, but it never really led to anything. Oh yes, Erica won, and notable that she was oh one the of Canadian, two, yeah right. the Canadian. They had two Canadians on that. The one, the one that I hated that you liked, also Canadian. She was uh, from Toronto, I think. So Erica's from Niagara Falls, uh, so that's cool. At least that a Canadian one. But yeah, it was Sur- Survivor Forty One was, I you know was okay, but I uh, we always enjoy. Survivor, so 42 seasons. And I love how every year it's the most relentless season ever. <laughs> <Every> time, <yeah.
1: laughs> it's also going doing the opposite of what the long-running franchises do. Normally, they start off with numbers, and then they get sick of numbers and start going to word titles, and Survivor just did the opposite. They did 40 seasons of you know place names or gimmicks or whatever, and now they're just going to numbers. Yeah, well, because they're, they're basically permanently set up
0: in Fiji, right? Yeah. Because ah. they, they could find something to name it. Yeah, that's true, because they used to name it after where they were, like Survivor Fiji, Survivor Australia or whatever, Survivor Africa, Marquesas, um, and then they went to different names and yeah, so they probably just ran out of ideas or like, can we just call us numbers, please? Like, <laughs> Let's just call it what it is. In a moment, we're going to tell you about something else coming to global television Net next week that has drummed up some controversy, some controversy as it pertains to its main star. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes, starting Tuesday on Global, a limited series based on a story shared back in 2019 on Dateline, and later a super popular podcast upon which this upcoming show is named. Renee Zellweger stars in The Thing About Pam. What are the police doing here? Something happened, Minnie. Something terrible. There's been a murder. Like, a big one. Do this. Well, they're holding Russ.
1: The truth Will, come out. I didn't do this. Tell me about Pam. She's a nice lady. Did she lied about where she was at the time of the crime. Look at the life insurance. Betsy changed the beneficiary from Russ to Pam. We got Pam's motive to kill.
0: Transfer the balance to my personal checking. I bet you'll get that facelift
1: you've been wanting. I don't know what you've been talking about.
0: Well, your face does. This six-episode series is Zellweger's broadcast TV debut as both executive producer and star alongside Josh Duhamel and Judy Greer. It's airing in the States on NBC. And the tagline is, she's a friend until the end. Kind of like Chucky. Renee Zellweger stars as Pam Hupp in a diabolical story based on a true crime. It's based on the 2011 murder of Betsy Faria that resulted in her husband Russ's conviction, although he insisted he did not kill her. This brutal crime sets off a chain of events that would expose a diabolical scheme deeply involving Pam Hupp. And one of the interesting and controversial things about this show is Zellweger is... She's wearing body prosthetics to increase her size or, as critics would call it, a fat suit. Like when they say things like, it's 2022 and we're still putting actors in fat suits. I guess there are no above average size women who could have played this part. The show American Crime Story Impeachment, for example, last year faced similar criticism when Sarah Paulson wore this kind of suit. Also of note, the show was shot in New Orleans, so imagine wearing that much prosthetics in Louisiana heat, good lord. Anyway, The Thing About Pam debuts Tuesday on Global.
1: There's a new heist movie out on Netflix starring Pierce Brosnan. I checked it out this week. It's called The Misfits. Facility state-of-the-art. One of the most modern prisons on Earth. There's millions of dollars worth of gold in one of those locations. We can try and stop that gold from financing terrorism. Steal their gold, stop the terrorists. Let's go to prison, shall we? Oh, I only fly first class. The Misfits came out last year, possibly with the intention of being a theatrical release, although the more I watched it, the more I doubted it. But it ended up being a VOD release, as many things ended up being, thanks to the pandemic. Then just over a week ago, it started streaming on Netflix. I noticed it was in the top 10 on Monday. And since I had just finished watching the Pierce Brosnan James Bond movies, I thought I'd give it a shot. And James Bond, it ain't. Aside from Brosnan, The Misfits stars Nick Cannon, Rami Jaber, Jamie Chung, Hermione Corfield, and Mike Angelo with Tim Roth, as the bad guy. Nick Cannon leads a gang of conscientious thieves. They steal from the rich to give to the poor like Robin Hood, and they try to recruit Master Thief Brosnan to help them steal a bunch of gold from a Middle Eastern prison owned by Roth. Basically, it's an Ocean's Eleven ripoff with obviously much less star power, and it's nowhere near as good. It's directed by Rennie Harlan, who made some big action movies in the 90s like Die Hard 2 and Cliffhanger, but he also made some stinkers. But when I saw his name come up, I got excited because for all of his faults, he does make entertaining movies, and that's all I was hoping for. And it started off promising enough um, Nick, It's narrated by Nick Cannon, who plays a thief named Ringo. He's very energetic, and he's loose and bouncy in his narration. He would narrate something like, now I'm not sure who those guys are. All I know is they're trying to kill me, so I'm getting out of here. He doesn't bother with the information that isn't necessary, and it's a signal to the audience that the movie doesn't take itself too seriously, which is a good thing. But then about 15 minutes in, there's this car chase, and that's when the red flags really started popping up because it just looks so cheap. I've seen much better car chases in an average uh, Friday night episode of Magnum P.I., and after that, the bubble was kind of burst, and I was forced to reckon with the fact that this was pretty much a B-movie with a couple of big names. And Well, I thought, you know, it's a heist movie, so it'll at least be worth it for the heist elements when they come up, the twists, the turns, the machinations of how they pull it off. And that all turned out to be just so bland. It was a real disappointment. I mean, say what you will about a movie like Den of Thieves, but that had an interesting heist act at the end of it. Of course, it also had a wonderfully bonkers performance by Gerard Butler in it as well. Um, but with the misfits, the Pierce Brosnan of it all did sort of keep me in it because, like I said, I just finished watching his Bond run. I've also recently rewatched Mamma Mia and I've seen the Eurovision movie, I think, four times in the last two years. So I've seen a lot of Pierce Brosnan recently here. He's a a classy upper crust thief. We get to see him play debonair again, which he is very suited for, even as he approaches 70 years of age. And honestly, he gets some better one liners in this movie than he did in any of those James Bond films films they really underserved him in the writing in those but that's for another day so if you love Pierce Brosnan it is worth a look and the good news is it's only 90 minutes long so even if you're halfway through and you're not really into it you're not wasting too much of your time but if you're hoping for a great heist movie you should probably just re-watch Ocean's Eleven so two couch cushions out of five for The Misfits streaming now on Netflix. Up
0: next what did I think of Peacemaker find out you're listening to The Couch Potatoes I'm Brad. he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes. Last week, Jeff offered his rather glowing review of the first season finale of a show that debuted back in January on Crave, courtesy of HBO Max. And now I would like to offer my own thoughts on the DC Comics-inspired show starring John Cena, Peacemaker.
1: Have you ever heard of a guy named Peacemaker? No. He is a trained killer. We've got trouble with that maniac. Go! What are you waiting for? That thing better not crap back there. Yeah can't straight an eagle, dude. Not without stealing its soul. Two jerks in costumes and a couple of rejects. Woo!
0: It's like a real team out there. Bye, bye, bye. Yo, what the hell is that?
1: It's a grenade I tied to a Russian tank shell.
0: Why not just the grenade?
1: A grenade blows up like two people. How many people does this blow up? I don't know. I invented it this morning. What? Eat peace, mother.
0: So, Jeff, you really like this show. What would you give it out of uh, five couch cushions?
1: I would give it a solid four couch cushions out of five. I think it might be my favorite show this year so far.
0: Yeah, it was super fun. So, for those who are unfamiliar with Peacemaker, John Cena played the character Peacemaker in Last year's *The Suicide Squad* from director James Gunn, and *The Suicide, Suicide Squad*. There was previously a movie called *Suicide Squad* a few years ago. It's basically a bunch of DC villains who are in prison, and they are they're called Task Force X. And they are they're basically said you can rot in jail, or you can come help us save the world, and uh, you know enjoy some freedom for the time being. And um, it's it the *The Suicide Squad* was funny. Cena's Peacemaker is kind of an anti-Captain America in that he loves peace and wants to protect peace, but he doesn't care how he achieves it. And his character is like pretty serious and kind of a jerk in that movie. And in this it's a little bit different. Same character, but he's just evolved somewhat. Starting with the show's opening. As mentioned, James Gunn is the man behind the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. He's responsible for the awesome music in those films, and he's the creator of the show Peacemaker. He directed five of the eight episodes. He's going to direct the entire second season, and he's also responsible for the awesome hair metal music in this show including this wonderful theme song called Do You Wanna Taste It? by a Norwegian glam metal band named Wigwam which actually came out in 2010 believe it or not but oh man oh man this opening (laughs) makes me so so happy because they come out and they do this ridiculous robotic dance they all have like super serious looks in their face Cena does not like dancing, but he proves that he's game for this. And I've had the song stuck in my head all week because I just started watching this show this past Monday, so I plowed through it pretty quick. But uh, what did
1: you think of the opening again, Jeff? I love the opening. I like that they included everybody. Like, even there's a guy that plays a custodian in, I think, two scenes in the whole series. Yeah. And he gets like a little, his own little solo spot for two seconds in that opening. It's awesome.
0: Yeah. It's just, it's a wonderful, it might be the, one of the best openings of all time and cena in this show is fantastic now he was a great performer in the wwe for many years as a wrestler he's done some great work in movies over the last decade or so previously as mentioned he played peacemaker in the suicide squad but i would say this show is his acting star turn it's a career performance by a mile He's got great range in this, like there's some dramatic stuff. Of course, he's great at the action and fighting, but he is hilarious. He's shown before that he's got great comedic chops, but he's so good in this. And so is the dialogue. This is one of the cleaner moments that I can actually play as he's talking to his colleague, uh, Johnny Economos, or as he calls him, Diebeard, because Peacemaker believes John's beard is dyed. Hey, why are they called butterflies again? Again? We never told you. Okay, Diebeard. Hey, guess what? I'm done. Dude, it's not finished. I'm not gonna do this if you keep calling
1: me that name. What name? That fake name. You saying I'm fake news? No, I'm saying you're a. <laughs> I'd rather be with Harley Quinn than you. I'd rather be with the weasel than you. The only thing fake news around here is the beard.
0: <sighs> I'd rather be with <sighs> Batmite than you. Who's Batmite? The two foot tall interdimensional imp who stands Batman. I'd rather be with him. Is
1: that a real guy? Yeah. Let's finish. <laughs>
0: So that was in the second episode Which I think personally Was uh, the funniest episode Just for that scene alone Because it goes on to include Further hilarity which I'd have to bleep Almost entirely so there's no point in sharing it But the dialogue is just so good through this series so foul but it works especially with his character because he's such a dope and he seems to have no clue how to interact with people and it's weird too how they change his character from the movie because even though he was kind of a dullard in that film he was so serious and so composed in this not only does he offer more levity levity but he's kind of a bumbling fool and that's okay the action is great the supporting cast is great the story is creative And it falls into the... Just when you think you've seen it all from comic book adaptations category. The only thing I did not like was the character
1: Vigilante. Now, Jeff, you did like Vigilante, yes? He cracked me up all the way through it. He's a really dumb guy, but he's just super uh, eager and earnest about his uh, vigilantism. And uh, I found him highly entertaining.
0: Yeah, I liked him in theory because he's this goofy weirdo who also happens to be a highly efficient living weapon of a killer... And uh, some of the stuff he gets up to is quite brutal in this, and he's fearsome in that sense. But then he opens his mouth. For me, I thought almost everything he said, I just couldn't stand. Like, I couldn't tell if they were writing him. Like, he's just that unhinged that nothing he says makes sense because he's so detached from reality. Or if he's just an idiot. Either way, for me, too much from that character. I think he overshadowed other characters, even Peacemaker. And his stupidity was used as a plot device, which I hated. But um, overall... This was such a pleasant surprise. And there is quite the cameo in that final episode. So I'm going to give Peacemaker four couch cushions out of five. Just want to take a couple of minutes here as well to tell you about something else that I watched this week. Because this week saw the two-hour season finale of one of the best seasons in the history of this show. Season 33 of The Amazing Race. Now, one of the dramatic things about this season is they had to suspend it mid-race it happened at the end of the third episode on february 28th of 2020 they had to suspend it of course because covid 19 months later they resumed and uh it was heartbreaking to see them have to press pause and go home and so exciting to see them come back at least the ones who could come back but it was just one of the best seasons because of that drama And the changes they had to make when they came back, you know, when they flew, they flew on an Amazing Race charter plane. So that arguably took out some of the drama because there was no more, oh my gosh, we missed that flight kind of stuff. But it added a different element in that no one got penalized for mistakes that were out of their control. Like if a flight is delayed or their cab driver doesn't know where they're going. That's one of the hardest things to watch in this show when their fate is left in the hands of some dumb cab driver who doesn't know what doing. Um, and They they took no cabs, no public transportation. When they had to drive, they drove themselves. The the locations were cool, too, because they, I guess, they had to to seek out some really remote or small, sort of small towns. And, uh, you know, the race often takes the teams to incredibly populated areas. And while they went to populated countries, they found really quiet parts of these countries. So it was nice to have slightly less chaos. The teams were all great. And one of the best finales ever, I think because it was a rare instance where all three teams who made it, I couldn't really cheer against any of them. I mean, I think in the end, I was a little disappointed in the team that won, not because I didn't like them, but I just think I liked the other team more. And it was just so close and it seemed like the other team had it in the bag and then they blew it. And like all finales, one dumb mistake and you're screwed. And that was on full display here. So if you want to, watch it. If you liked The Amazing Race in the past and you maybe want to try it out again, this is the season to do it. One of my favorite seasons ever. You should be able to watch it online through your cable or on demand, pardon me, through your cable. In a moment, Jeff's got a take on West Side Story. And I can't believe
1: we're going back to the
0: Butlerverse. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes.
1: Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and it bombed in theaters in December, but it shouldn't have. And now one of the best movies of recent years is available to stream on Disney+. Plus. It's Steven Spielberg's West Side Story.
0: This is my first time in New York City. I
1: want to be happy here. I want to make a life at home. Are you ready? Tonight is about family.
0: The first gringo boy who smiles at you.
1: i never seen you before.
0: You're not Puerto Rican. Is that okay? If you go with him, no one will ever forgive you.
1: Life matters even more than love. Side Story hit theaters December 10th and almost nobody went. It grossed a total of $72.5 million worldwide against a budget of $100 million. In North America, it made just $38 million. Why did nobody go? I think the official line was COVID. Omicron was starting to crank up. Musicals generally skew to an older audience and older folks weren't taking chances in the theater. Hard to argue against that, but it is a shame in the sense that this movie is a masterpiece, Spielberg's best in 15 years, and deserves to be seen. And now it is out on Disney Plus, and I certainly hope everyone who has that service gives it a shot. I wouldn't be upset if it helped give it a little bit of an Oscar push too. I saw it when it came out. I gave it a four and a half couch cushion out of five review. Musicals aren't even really my thing, but I really got into West Side Story. I was swept up in it. The romance, the visual and musical feast that Spielberg dishes up here. It's a simple story. If you've never seen it uh, in New New York in the late 50s on the west side, I guess. There's a pair of competing gangs, the Jets and the Sharks. They don't like each other. They fight a lot. The cops are always breaking it up. And then Tony from the Jets falls in love with Maria, the sister of the leader of the Sharks. They meet at a dance fall in love and even though they're from opposite sides so it's got this romeo and juliet thing going on musicals of course are big and lavish and a heightened version of reality and i mean spielberg's obviously no stranger to any of that he is the best blockbuster filmmaker of all time it is such a good match between director and genre that now in hindsight it's just baffling that he'd never done a musical before the acting great across the board although ansel elgort isn't for everyone And Ariana DeBose is on track to win the Best Supporting Actress Oscar for the same role that Rita Moreno won an Oscar for in the original version from 1961. So that's a fun Oscar storyline. But Rachel Ziegler is the cast member that impressed me most. She has a beautiful voice, and I look forward to seeing her in future projects. Again, it is a masterpiece, Spielberg's best movie since Munich, and available now. On Disney Plus. A couple of other Oscar nominees will also be able to stream before the Oscars happen March 27th. I just want to talk about that for a second. Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley, also coming to Disney Plus on the 16th. Dune is coming to Crave on the 18th. Um, Some are already out there. Don't Look Up and Power of the Dog are both on Netflix. Coda is on Apple TV Plus. And the Japanese film Drive My Car was released in the US this week on HBO Max. Usually HBO Max stuff ends up on Crave in Canada, but I haven't seen it streaming there yet. Hopefully that will happen. I do see that you can rent it for $7 on Apple TV or iTunes right now. So there are some of those available. So that's the Oscar picture as of this week. And now Brett, what you've really been waiting for, I know it. We are going back to the Butlerverse this week. My random continuing series of making my way through the filmography of Gerard Butler continues this time a romantic film with Butler and Hilary Swank called P.S. I Love You. If I just See,
0: I don't worry about you remembering me. Life had changed as we knew it, and now it's changed again, love.
1: Just kidding. I watch this. This is Sparta! Ah! Tonight, we died in hell! <laughs> <laughs> yeah! I just want... I just wanted to fake you out, Brad, Uh, just, just for fun. I've been thinking of that. All week long, actually, or the last few days. (laughs) Because you've been bugging me to see 300 for years, so I finally did. And I liked it, and more than I was expecting, because you had really built it up, which is, of (laughs) course, a dangerous thing to do. That's honestly why I never even told you about the intro to The Peacemaker. I was like, I can't tell him that it's the greatest intro of all time, because then he'll be expecting that. It's more fun to see that thing unexpected. Anyways, if you've never seen it, 300 is a film from Zack Snyder in 2006, based on a Frank Miller graphic novel and tells the story of 300 brave Spartans in ancient Greece who fought off a horde of Persian invaders, and Jar Butler is the leader of the Spartans. Leonidas, the leader of the Persians, is Xerxes, played by Paolo from Lost, and that kind of made him a little less threatening in my eyes. It's a super-stylized Zack Snyder bloodbath, swords and spears being the main weapons, of course. And the story is very simple. Basically, the Spartans march to where the bad guys are and they start to fight. The movie does, though, do a very good job, I thought, of breaking up the fight into smaller battles with time off in between both on the battleground and back home where Butler's wife, played by Game of Thrones' uh, Lena Hetty, tries to convince the city council there to send more soldiers to the fight because otherwise it would just be a 90-minute fight, which might sound like fun, but I assure you would get tiresome after a while. I thought Snyder did a, a, a great job here um, you know, he, again, I've, I've spent the last year defending this guy because he started to earn this Michael Bayesque reputation, but I think he is a much better director. And if you're going to watch any of his other movies, look for his director's cuts because they're always substantially better. But this is a Butler segment. So let's talk about Butler. He's very suited for this movie because he likes to go big and Leonidas does a lot of yelling. I suspect he was cast mostly for his abs and his angry face, both on full display for the entire movie, Uh, he's great in it. It's easily one of his top three performances and it's one of his top three movies which is good, except I will say sometimes, you know, I'm more in the mood to watch him when the movie is dumb and he's just chewing the scenery because that's a lot of fun too. The best part, I thought, was that he has a, a thick Scottish accent in this. You can't tell when he's yelling, but when he's talking, it's really there. And there's just no attempt to hide it. And most of the other actors seem to be using whatever their natural accents are as well, despite the fact they're all playing Greeks. That cracked me up throughout the movie. And they sort of pitched down Paolo from Lost Voice to try to make him sound more menacing, but I thought that was a kind of a crummy effect that I found distracting. So A-plus for visuals, because that's amazing, but C-minus for sound. Overall, 300, a fun movie that zips along nicely, doesn't overstay its welcome. Three and a half couch cushions out of five, Brett. Uh, that, that's my review of 300.
0: Attaboy, Jeff, I've been wondering. I was actually just thinking about this this week. Jeff's got to watch 300 soon. Uh, by the way, if you do end up watching the sequel, uh, 300, The Rise of an Empire, it's just okay, the original 300 is a classic as far as I'm concerned, but you can not see the sequel and not miss anything. So, But good for you, Jeff. Um, perhaps we'll have to do some sort of an anniversary segment, a rewatch one year from now to see how it's aged in your mind. But that's all the time we've got. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes, and remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.